Welcome to Growing Up Skywalker. My name is Anna. And I'm Sam. We are recently recovered from long COVID. Mostly. Mostly. We are at like 95%. It's not really long COVID if it's only been like two weeks. But that feels like a long enough time for me. Don't catch COVID. So today we are starting on, I think, one of the most exciting arcs of season five of The Clone Wars. It is the revenge arc. So we start off at season five, episode one, and then jump to season five, episode 14. Revival and eminence. So how does it start? Okay, Revival starts with a fortune cookie. Strength of character can defeat strength in numbers, which is a very heroic fortune cookie. I feel like that's the kind of thing we would get if Anakin and Obi-Wan were tooling around. But instead, we get the brothers oppress back in business. The narrator's like, death and destruction. And then cut to the brothers oppress Maul and Savage. So the Brothers Opress are continuing their search for revenge against Obi-Wan. You may remember all the way back to The Phantom Menace when he gave Darth Maul a uh, half-off deal. Mm -hmm. So we basically open with a bank robbery. Yeah, they uh, are just clobbering their way through this thing. They easily delete some robot guards and then find a safe full of money. Savage is super excited. They're going to be able to fund their random acts of terror across the galaxy. But Maul wants them to have a stronger crime vision to gain the power that they need to fight off the Jedi who they assume are hunting them. They assume correctly Obi-Wan and Jedi Master Adi Galia are pursuing them. They also have a power struggle right at the beginning. Yes. So Maul is kind of ignoring the brotherly connection he has with Savage. He invokes the Sith rule of two and makes Savage into more of his apprentice than his brother. Yeah, he does a real quick takedown of him, and then we move on. And then we move on. They end up near Florum. They trap some of Hondo Onaka's pirates and bribe them into their service. And then they start steadily conscripting more and more of Hondo's men. So Maul is trying to force Hondo to bow down to him as the new crime lord of the sector. Mm-hmm. But Obi-Wan and Adi Galia are right behind. They're following, and... They phone in to Hondo, and Hondo's like, what have you brought to my system? This is terrible. Yes, so the traitor pirates fire on Hondo's base. The brothers oppress stroll down the gangplank of their ship. They're watching it unfold. But Obi-Wan and Adi have tracked them down. It's too soon. They haven't had time to unveil their master plan. So there is a phenomenal duel. It is Jedi against Sith. Obi-Wan versus Maul, Adi versus Savage. Savage is dueling with Adi. He gores her with his horns. Mm -hmm. He stabs her through the back with his lightsaber. Adi Galia is gone. And now yep. it is two on one. And then it gets real scary because the pirates are also forcing Hondo back into his base. Yes, the B-plot has been the other traitor pirates regrouping with Hondo, and he is sweet-talking the traitors back onto his side. So the duel is going deeper and deeper into Hondo's base. Obi-Wan has two lightsabers. He's mm -hmm. fighting tooth and nail. The brothers pin him against the wall. He's fending off both of their lightsabers. He slashes and he cuts off Savage's arm. After breaking his knee because he hits, he kicks Savage's knee in the same spot Adi had kicked it. 
but he does it like four times and eventually he just breaks Savage's knee and Savage falls. It is actually gruesome. Yes. Then the B plot and the A plot converge again. The traitor pirates relink up with Hondo. He's like, why don't we celebrate our victory by taking the brothers oppressed for everything they have? So they raid the ship. They block them from getting back on and Maul and Savage have to retreat. So they're chasing back to the landing pad. Maul and Savage get aboard their ship and throw uh, Obi-Wan's ship in the way of the pirates in this running battle. Savage and Maul take off, but get shot down. Someone gets Maul's ankle while they're running away. So the brothers oppress are down two limbs between them. They're down an arm and an ankle. They're they're out an arm and a leg. Yeah. (laughs) And as they're taking off, one of the pirates blasts their ship. So they have to jump into an escape pod. It yeets them off into the galaxy. Hondo feels like they've probably been vaporized. Kenobi is not so sure. So he takes this news back to Coruscant, where Palpatine basically puts a pin in it. He's like, we can't let your personal shindig continue to be a concern of the Republic. And Yoda agrees. And then we close on Palpatine smirking because Mm -hmm. he knows Maul is still out there and he's coming back. So flash way forward to 514. Eminence. One vision can have many interpretations. Yeah, put that in your pipe and smoke it, Maul. Well, so Maul and Savage are floating in an escape pod, and they are in a, I don't know, Sith coma where they can't breathe anymore. When a ship shows up, grabs them, and a circle appears in the door cut by the Darksaber. It's Death Watch. It's Pre-Vizsla and Bo-Katan, et cetera, et cetera, and the rest of Death Watch. And so... Uh, Bo-Katan's like, let's smoke them. And pre says, if they're an enemy of the Jedi, they're a friend of mine, take them back. So we cut to whatever planet the Death Watch are on. It is the moon Zanbar. Thank you very much. Zanbar. Where Death Watch is exiled and camping out again. They're really running out of letters on the alphabet there. <laughs> that's, why they, that's why they have their plan. But uh, they're putting back together Maul. So now he has, instead of creepy claw robot legs, regular metal boot legs. And Savage is still out for the count. They're going to put a robotic arm on him. So Previsla and Bo-Katan walk in, hold a gun to Savage's head, and come up with the plan. Bo-Katan brings up the good point that they've tried working with the Sith before with Count Dooku, and that went really bad. Maul is force choking Bo-Katan behind him as he speechifies and says that they're all lacking in vision. They are true lords of the Sith. If you are weak, why do you wait? We have the same plan to kill Kenobi. Yeah, so it turns out they have a common enemy. Mm -hmm. So the Mandalorians have been exiled because they want to overthrow Satine's pacifist government. But her strongest ally is Kenobi. Mm -hmm. So they form an alliance because everyone wants Kenobi dead. So everyone's going off and having their own little meetings. So Maul goes back to Savage and says, they know nothing of our intentions. Those revolutions will come too late. Savage stands up on his, with his new robo arm, bonks the light. And yeah, uh, 
when Maul lost his cool centaur legs mm-hmm. and got the new human ones, he got a lot shorter. So Savage just towers over him now. I have a note here that Maul is so quotable because he's talking to Pre Vizsla and they're coming up with a, the plan to take out Satine. This duchess of yours will soon discover the true burden of peace. So they go to the they decide to go to the Black Sun for foot soldiers because they want to avoid the scrutiny of the Republic. They land on some planet where the Black Sun is. It's Mustafar. It looked a lot, I, I guess so. And the Major Domo lets them in. There's a whole bunch of big green dudes in big fancy cloaks. And they're like, we'll never join you. Maul looks at Savage and then ducks. Savage flings his double-bladed lightsaber, decapitates everyone in the room. Throws his lightsaber like a boomerang. Yes, that scene was cut from Cartoon Network for being too gory. There is a gorier version on the Blu-ray and DVD extended version, and I desperately want to watch it. <laughs> it is disgusting. Um, and then they turn to the Major Domo, who's none other than Zeton Maj, and say, I guess you're in charge now. Are you going to join us? He's like, yes. After careful consideration, we will join you. So there's a bunch of scenes of scheming and getting together and loading up. And then the Pikes show up and are like, we want to join you. This sounds like a great plan. They are spice smugglers. They Mm -hmm. kind of look like cool Egyptian cobras. And they are another legendary crime syndicate who we will meet later. (laughs) So then the plan is to go to Nalhutta. They go to Nalhutta in front of the Council of Huts and are ready to take over the huts, a bunch of them are holocroned in, and the huts say, no, we're going to sick Embo and M-Dog on you. So Embo and M-Dog and Dengar and Sugi and Latsrazi show up and are fighting off. It is a big old battle. Oh my gosh, it's insane. Uh, Sugi is incredibly brave and drops from the ceiling and gets into a knife fight with Maul. Embo is getting his hat punched in by Savage Opress. Justice for Embo's hat, justice for Embo's dog. Um, eventually the tables turn, the bounty hunters decide that, uh, living to get paid is the most important part of getting paid and take a runner. And Maul says, leave them. They're just bounty hunters. They have no allegiance. They go to Orduba the hut. He's begging for his life. And he says, so you tell me that the place I'll find Jabba is on Jabba's palace. Yeah, the only thing that he has to tell them is like, Jabba's on Tatooine. And they're like, we know Jabba's on Tatooine. Death to all huts. And then they execute him. Oh my gosh. So they fly to Tatooine. They barge into Jabba's palace. And Jabba's like, I appreciate a good show of strength. I'll join you. So Pre is saying, we've got the soldiers. We're ready to go and take over Mandalore. And Maul says, your vision lacks clarity and you will rule Mandalore and under your protection, I will rule a new galactic underworld. So Pre is about ready to talk back. He swallows his pride and says, "Ah, all right, this sounds like a plan. And Maul notices that, says, you have learned from your previous oversights. Here's the plan. You're going to go hit the security sites, and I'm getting the army ready to roll out. So Pre Vizsla is obviously intending to betray Maul. Maul is obviously intending to betray Death Watch. Mm-hmm. There is no mention of Savage in these plans at all. No. So who knows what's going to happen to Savage? Well, he is now the apprentice, and he's also the muscle, mm. which is pretty interesting. But anyway, 
that's the cliffhanger. Yeah. And next week we're going to finish this arc up. But it is ratcheting up the tension. So uh, let's talk about what stuck out to us in this arc. Uh, Maul is so incredibly quotable and terrifying. Every single thing he says is with his cadence of speaking and putting emphasis on certain words. Yeah, I want to talk first and foremost about the voice acting because I think Mm -hmm. we got a notable upgrade from some of the previous voice acting. Maul's posh accent is so great. It's really soft. It's really threatening. He's kind of like a Sith in the style of Dooku, Yeah, but scarier. Well, so the last time we saw Maul was when we had Tim on the show, right? And uh, he had spider legs and was crazy. And then he was slowly regaining his sanity. And now he has his sanity and he has this incredibly cold calculating plan that is so much bigger than anyone around him. And he is absolutely willing to do anything to enact it. Yeah, it's very obvious that Maul is the brain, Savage Mm. is the muscle. Savage really didn't have many speaking lines in this arc at all. He was there to gore Adigalia Mm -hmm. and get downgraded to Apprentice. So thinking of this, Maul is kind of taking a page from Palpatine's playbook, right? Because his plan is to set it up so that I guess he's the Dooku in charge and Previsual is going to be the Palpatine who's the figurehead. Oh, interesting. I can totally see that. Because obviously if Maul shows up and it's like, oh, hey, I'm in charge of Mandalore now and Mandalore influences 2000 neutral systems, then the that's a whole other faction. But ruling a crime family, and also Palpatine's giving him free reign to do so. That's what he says at the end of the first episode. It's like, we don't, we can't worry about the crime families. The only person who's caring about the crime syndicates is Obi-Wan. And he's saying, these crime syndicates have gotten too powerful with this war on. So what's interesting is that when you're looking at this from the Republic, Palpatine is the figurehead and Dooku is the scapegoat in charge of the separatist part in the Clone Wars. Mm -hmm. But actually, Dooku is the scapegoat and Palpatine is the mastermind. So do you think that analogy still works? Sort of. I think Maul has learned to be the tail that wags the dog Mm. and that it is better to because if you're like a public figurehead, you're under some amount of scrutiny. He's also got the big secret. He's he knows that Palpatine is Sidious. Right. He's got the biggest secret in the whole galaxy, and that's his like nuclear bomb that he can drop at any time. Palpatine yeah, that's knows the pin and the grenade, it. and he's got his finger on it. Yeah. So I think he feels perfectly strong, and if anything, he wants to be in a defensive, hidden location. Mm. He wants to be elusive in the shadows. And by taking over all these crime families, he has read the tea leaves and knows that the crime syndicates are empowered right now because the war is on. And so he's able to move a lot of money and exert the power that he wants to and set up the situation the way he wants it to go. Yeah. What I love about that read that you just said was that it says it really clearly that Maul is at the tip top of this pyramid. He's in charge. Mm -hmm. And what really struck me in this arc is how much Savage wants them to have an equal partnership. Yeah. Because Savage is motivated by love. He's not motivated by ambition or by a desire for power. He's really just there because Maul is his brother. 
He was lost. Maul is the only thing tethering him to a purpose in his life. And he loves his brother, mm-hmm. right? And Maul is motivated by something completely different. And there is no love in that relationship. Uh, Savage is pretty much relegated to a tertiary character. Yeah. He doesn't have a dog in this hunt at all. No, no. He just He's a glorified bodyguard. Yeah. What I noticed is that we've never seen anyone, to my knowledge in the Clone Wars, use their body like a weapon, like Savage does when he uses his horns to gore Adigalia. Yeah. And I think that was another way of just reducing him to a beast. To a monster. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like it's getting harder and harder to defend my pet thesis that Savage <laughs> is a good person and he's locked away in this flesh puppet being manipulated by other people to be a terrifying monster. Well, he's got Sith Roid Rage going on, right? Yeah. And because he's not the brains of the operation and because obviously Maul isn't giving him all the information he needs, he's learning to be a good soldier, which ironically... Going back to that first Savage arc when he gets amped up, when he gets the the mm-hmm. Night Sister juice. Um, the mommy tea special. Yeah. When he puts on 200 pounds in three minutes. <laughs> uh, learning to be the good soldier was like the core foundational thing, which had been removed from him, right? So the story arc of Savage, he was this conniving like somewhat sneaky but also brutal character because his plan was to keep his head down but he was willing to kill well so he was strategic he was motivated by love of his brother feral Mm -hmm. he was kind of pictured to us as a relatively gentle character I mean, kind of, he, he's been killing younglings. I know, we have different reads on this. Yeah, he's, he's we a didn't brute. see him kill anybody until he got his roid juice. True. That's what I'm saying. Okay, so, I'm talking pre-op and post-op right. Savage. So Savage's purpose was to be a Manchurian candidate, right? To yes. be a sleeper agent. Yes. And then Asajj booped him in the forehead and then he woke up and then he experienced this internal breakdown where he needed to follow someone, didn't have anyone he trusted enough to follow. So he went on his quest to find his brother. He finds his brother, and he does this with single-minded determination, right? Because he's walking past the ashes of the Night Sisters, and the only one left is Mommy T, and she has to instantiate herself. And he doesn't care about that. He's just following his brother. Mm -hmm. And then he gets to his brother, and you already see in the previous Savage and Maul arc some set of subservience. Yes, absolutely. Even though Savage is the one who brought Maul back to life, mm-hmm. right? Who gave him the revival, the yeah. return to sanity, the return to ability, everything that he needed to carry out his plan. Somehow that caretaker role put Savage in the subservient position. And, and so this all happens. This is all visible in the very first scene. So, the very first scene aboard this ship, which apparently has a full safe, and there's robo guards. Robo guards get aced. Savage opens up the safe and says, "Brother, we're rich. It's a fortune. It's a fortune." And Maul, big picture, mega mind, is saying, "Money means nothing without the security to spend it." Yeah, he's. I mean, he's true. 
You can also buy a lot of security with a lot of credits. But I know what he's saying. He's saying if we don't have a direction, mm -hmm. then what are we doing? What do we need these credits for if we don't have anything to spend it on? Yeah. And so they need to come up with a plan. And his plan is perhaps right in that moment, or perhaps he's been fomenting it for a while. Let's be Sith Lords. I have the key. I have the ripcord that'll pull this whole thing down. I know that Palpatine is Sidious, and he's the only person who knows. I mean, him and Dooku. And so he is setting himself up, trying to gain enough power to be a big player in this game. Mm. And becoming the crime lord of the galaxy is the most accessible option, I guess. Well, so I guess it'd be spatio-politically, geopolitically. <laughs> He's looking galacto politically. Yeah, so he's looking at what's going on. The Jedi are grinding themselves to a pulp. They're in this distracted. World. They don't have the resources to perform their normal peacekeeping mechanisms. So the pirates, the crime lords are getting stronger. And the midrim and the core are at war basically with the separatists and the Republic. So there's plenty of space in the outer rim mm. for them to take power. Power loves a vacuum. Maul is so assumptive of that power. He walks in and uh, you know you can't tell, there's no subtitles what the huts are saying, but they say a bunch of stuff in Hatties and Maul says, your lives in exchange for everything for the entire hut empire the support mm -hmm. of your re your resources your soldiers everything mm -hmm. which leads one to conclude that the previous thing that the hut said was well what do you want and he says i will exchange your lives for everything that you own i will say this is by far the most compelling strong arming we've ever seen in the clone wars no mm -hmm. one has ever been able to do so much with so little anakin wasn't able to strong arm jabba cad bane wasn't able to strong arm anybody and yet Maul walks in and he's got, it, there's so many beautiful scenes in these first two episodes of these beautiful gauntlet uh, starfighters that are the Mandalorian ships with these cool bays full of Mandalorians. And they're hovering over various crime lord bases as Mandalorians jump out on jetpacks and are swarming everywhere. And Maul and Opress and Previsual are striding off their ship and they're like, we're here to take your stuff. Yeah. <laughs> We're here to take your stuff and ruin your day. Bye. Yeah. And Maul continually gives people a second chance, but he never gives them a third chance. He always is like, I'm asking for your support. And they're like, never. He's like, I'm once again I'm, asking for your support. Otherwise, I'm going to sick Savage on you. I'm going to send a lightsaber boomerang at all of your heads mm -hmm. and decapitate you five in one. Yeah. Five so, for one special. So Maul is setting up this... I, I believe the actual thing that it's called is the Shadow Collective. And I love that as a name because that's what it is. It's a collection of shadows that are hiding in the outer rim that are pulling power from everywhere in and outside the whole galaxy. It's the same level of power that Palpatine is pulling together, except it's not, it's covert instead of overt. Mm hmm. We have rarely seen so many legendary crime figures in one place. I think the last time was probably during The Box, the Bounty Hunters yeah. game show episode. But now we've got full legions of terrifying mercenaries and smugglers and crime lords and everybody and their mom is there. And 
the extremely scary Mandalorians. That too. The man, the Death Watch is fully armed, operational, supplied. I love that. I, as an aside, I made a, a special note of this. I love to death the Death Watch aesthetic because they live in these like animal skin tents in these beautiful planets in their crazy space armor with their crazy spaceships. And it reminds me of nothing so much as like a crusade, a crusading force where these like knights from West Francia show up in Jerusalem and they like, they're always in their armor. They've got these insignias. Uh They're on like a religious quest. And all they bring with them is like, weapons because they're like we will take food from where we land we are on a religious quest because that's basically what the mandalorians are thinking of this as yeah their ancient warrior culture is completely connected to the aggressiveness and the ferocity and the valor of battle Mm -hmm. and so they don't feel like they can exist in the same space as satine's pacifist government yeah. The one way to look at it is that it suffocates their religious culture. Yeah. Do I think their religious culture is right? No. <laughs> Can I see this from their point of view because I'm an empathetic human being? Yes. Yeah. So because we're talking about the Mandalorians and Death Watch, I want to talk a little bit about the dynamic between Maul and Previsla. Oh, man. Because Previsla, in all of the iterations that we've seen him in in the Clone Wars so far, he's always balanced being actually threatening and sort of comical. He is... I believe that the trope term for him is uh, a butt monkey. He's, yeah, he's a um, oh gosh, <laughs> yeah. what is he's he's a he's kind of a team rocket or kind of a, a star scream from Transformers. Yeah, where he's a lot of bark and not a lot of bite. He is a terrifying terrorist who causes all sorts of problems. Oh, he wields that dark saber like nobody's business. And there's a scene in uh, I guess on Nalhuda where. Uh, Maul is getting chewed on by a dog. Savage is beating up Embo, but it's not a clean fight. And Previsla chops through about 25 mercenaries with the Darksaber. It's so gorgeous because the way they animate the Darksaber moving through space is just a big black void. Mm -hmm. Like how a lightsaber leaves behind a kind of translucent glow pattern. The Darksaber is just this flat black lightning burst with white around it and Mm -hmm. you're like that's horrifying and he still manages to always end up on bottom previously never he he always turns up at the wrong end of things and i feel like his relationship with bo katan is somewhat conflicted based off of that because she is obviously his second in command right she's the she's his counsel and i feel like she might be gunning for his job oh absolutely you can see it she's a very competent self-possessed person Mm -hmm. you can see that she has a big scope she's got like that big picture thinking Mm -hmm. where you know she she rolls up to where i think maul and savage where where does she roll up to them so 
at first when they meet the huts, it's just Pre Vizsla and the brothers Opress, and they get shot out of the. Yeah, and she shows up on her jetpack, and she's like, this went exactly as I expected. She's laughing over yeah. the radio. And then she brings in the reinforcements, and they solve the problem. But it is interesting that perhaps she is showing the true character of Death Watch and of the Shadow Collective, which is that it is a force of arms. It's not a force of diplomacy. Yeah, and Pre Vizsla just happens to be on top because he has the Darksaber. I'm so glad to hear you call him a butt monkey because that is the term that I was looking for and I couldn't find it. <laughs> but he's such a he's, – he's just kind of weebly. He is. He's sporting a very cool new facial scar from the last time he tussled with Obi-Wan. But, yeah, he's not – it's like this plan mm-hmm. of his that he's concocting with Maul just keeps getting worse and worse for him. And he, he just keeps sitting there and taking it. Well, so that is actually the interesting bit here. So right after they get Zetan Maj to bring them the Black Sun, Maul says, we need to acquire more forces. And Previzla says- He's like, no, surely we have enough. Yeah, he says, we don't. with my plan, we don't need a bigger force. And Maul says- there is only one plan, one vision. Previsla says, and it belongs to Death Watch. <laughs> and Maul says, your vision lacks clarity. Without us, you have no army and no reason to replace the Duchess. The depth of this opportunity eludes you. You shall watch and learn. Oh, my God. I love watching people being put in their place. It is that, my jam. That is the most anyone's ever been put in their place. But I recall the last time. That That's savage. Dooku and because Dooku said a similar thing to Pre Vizsla. I don't recall exactly what it was. Oh, but. it was something about like you and your rabble have one more chance that I'm going to come in and like fix everything that you messed up. It it was something in the first Mandalore arc yeah, where it, they were just eminently failing to do everything they were trying to do. Yeah. And this time, but, but sh- saying the depth of this opportunity eludes you <laughs> shows that. And and then he's he's telegraphing a little bit. He's he's giving just enough of a juicy dangle to Previsla because he says, "Without us, you have no army and no reason to replace the Duchess. Because you can't just show up, kill the Duchess, and the people are going to be like, okay, we'll get a new Duchess.' Yeah, Maul is coming. That's up our with, Duchess. Maul is coming up with a plan to install Previsla as a puppet. What I love about all of Maul's one-liners and all of his speechifying in this arc is that it's like that professional burn you can sometimes get off in the workplace setting where (laughs) you're like the scope of this project eludes you burn like sick burn burn. Mm -hmm. i love that for him do i love maul no do i love his sick burns yeah (laughs) we're uh we're missing the star of the first episode though who is Hondo flipping Onaka. Hondo freaking Onaka is quality entertainment value. So this whole arc compared to, because we've been, what have we watched recently? We've watched the Younglings arc. and The D-Squad the arc. The D-Squad arc. And those are affable and funny and there's jokes. Well, there's something fun, which is that if we were watching this in syndication order, we would have seen Revival, season mm-hmm. one, season five, episode one. And then we would have had to wait through the entire Ahsoka and Younglings arc and the entire D-Squad arc 
And then we would finally get to episode 14, yeah. where Maul and Savage are floating frozen in space. Apparently like fish for sticks. like two months. Yeah. <laughs> They're fish sticks yeah. in a box. And it makes no sense to watch in syndication order for these ones specifically, because in this first episode, when uh, Obi-Wan calls in and says, we'll take the Sith and you take the pirates. And Hondo says, I'm sitting here. The, I had lightsaber. I'm sitting here in the wreckage of my salvage yard because, now. Because Grievous just wrecked my base. And, and your younglings chewed through the rest of it. Yeah. So it makes perfect sense for it to be happening now. But Hondo brings these very like PG-13 jokes to this arc. And he's the only one making light of anything. Are they PG-13? No, not really. Let me see. Okay, the one that I loved was some of his one-liners are freaking incredible. Um, when his pirates go against him mm -hmm. and he says, traitors, scum, I'm so proud and I'm so betrayed. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh my God. And then right, incredible. right after that, Obi-Wan phones in and says, greetings, Hondo. And Hondo says, greetings? What kind of menace have you brought to my planet now? <laughs> I love when Obi-Wan's like, okay, I'm going to take the Sith. And Honda's like, leave you alone with these crazies? Okay. <laughs> I don't know what accent that was. I was, was trying. Close. It thank was you. close. Thank you. Thank you. And meanwhile, the other purveyor of punchlines, Kenobi, has only one bon mot. Did he have one? He had one. So he's sitting there. He's got Adi Galia's lightsaber. He's drawn the Brothers Opress off a different passageway while the pirates are being pulled into an ambush to rejoin Hondo. And Maul says, surrender. We are two and you are no match for us both. Obi-Wan lights his second lightsaber and says, you are mistaken. <laughs> he I says mean, it way cooler than I did. Yeah, okay. <laughs> okay. I believe that. The power of a professional voice actor, right? Versus for real. Uh, amateur podcasters yeah but hondo is hilarious the the next one is so right after that because um obi-wan does get the better of the brothers opress and then everyone's running towards the ship maul sees the pirates is like we have to fight off obi-wan come on and they're like no we've rejoined with hondo and hondo comes around from behind a pirate and is like go on get we're taking your ship and maul says the insolence, you insolent filth. Hondo starts laughing and says, insolence. We're pirates. We don't even know what that means. <laughs> oh my God, I love it. Okay, the last one that I loved, and I wrote this down because I loved it so much, was when Adi Galia, RIP, dies mm -hmm. and Obi-Wan comes back. And Hondo's like, where's your friend? And Obi-Wan's like, she's dead. And Hondo's like, they're too powerful for you. I am semi-speechless. <laughs> <laughs> so amazing. He brings those lines, which is really the only levity. The only other levity, I think, is the new accents on the Weequay pirates, which are purely delightful. Yes. They're weird. They're campy. Compared to the first time we meet Hondo and all the week, because it's early on in the series, all the week we have the same face. There's only like two different body types. Now that every single one's got a different face, they're even like named and different. And they they've have, got little flourishes. One of them wears a cool bandana. Mm -hmm. One of them has a weird Irish brogue. One of them's big. There's like a trashy Southern accent in there. So the pirates are much more fun now. Yes, they are delightful. 
Speaking of accents, the Snivian at the very beginning, as Obi-Wan and Adi Galia end up at whatever the brothers oppressed robbed, um, is sitting there with like this beautiful South Texas drawl, or I guess Louisiana drawl. He's like, yeah, they came in here and took out that they must be pretty flush because they it was almost payday. Crankiest Abrax I've ever seen. Yes. So that is an Easter egg because he was wearing this Snivian was wearing this blue uniform and it's based off of this extremely rare 70s Star Wars toy. Oh. That, like even a used one goes for like 500 bucks nowadays. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I actually wrote down that interaction for a totally different reason. Please, please tell me more. Okay. <laughs> I wrote it down because he's like the office manager, right? Or like the guy who's there to clean up after the robbery. The Lieutenant Devo, I don't know. And he mistakes Savage and Maul for Jedi. Yes. And it was such a clear reminder that regular people in the galaxy have zero working knowledge of the Jedi. They can't tell an evil Sith from a quote-unquote good Jedi. Well, maybe they don't know anything about the Sith because the Sith have been underground for hundreds of years. Yeah, but anyone with a working knowledge of the Jedi would be like, no Jedi would come in here and rob me for everything I'm worth, right? So it was just a reminder that the Jedi have terrible PR. They really do. Nobody knows what they're about. We've talked about that a few times, how that's why the Jedi are losing this war. Yeah, absolutely. Because they're being forced to fight instead of go out and do good deeds. And actually, at the end of the first episode, Obi-Wan kind of pays homage to that because he says, the crime syndicates have gotten too strong because the Jedi are tied up in this war. Yeah, we're stretched, we're distracted. We can't go anywhere that we would normally go to do the things we normally do. Which means that for years, people have been like, I guess there's pirates. Pirates suck. Mm-hmm. Whereas before, they would have been like, there were pirates, and then the Jedi came and punched them in the face. <laughs> it kind of reminds me of the funding the war arc where Padme is a yeah. literal hero. And her big speech to the Senate mm-hmm. is, think about the common person like my handmaid. And her children can't go to school because the schools are defunded and there's no electricity in their house. So they don't have any basic social services. And if we are a political body of the people, these Mm -hmm. are the things that's inexcusable to not provide. So if the Jedi are a body that answers to the people, it is inexcusable that pirates are just around ruining your day, taking your popsicle, beating up your dog. Which might be what Palpatine's plan is. Oh, totally. I wonder, I mean, I know the answer because I know the future, but I wonder- It's like a Jeopardy question. Yeah, it is. <laughs> I'm, I'm speaking like Palpatine here. I wonder what the reason for Maul to be like, and, and so he's Palpatine's broadcasting Maul as if like, well, Obi-Wan, you should have killed him better and now he just wants to kill you. So it's your problem as opposed to- He's actually my former apprentice. I know what he's up to. And it'd be really cool if I make it so he just sounds crazy as opposed to actually being a threat. Because he, if he's a threat, then it, if when Maul comes forward and says Palpatine is Darth Sidious, the Dark Lord of the Sith, that might cause problems for me. Oh, that is so interesting. That's like the missing puzzle piece to my mm-hmm. understanding of this arc. Because as you were explaining it, I was like, wait. Palpatine knows that Maul has his great secret. Mm -hmm. Why wouldn't he sick Obi-Wan on Maul and Savage? And that makes total sense. He needs to discredit the witness. 
Which also explains why perhaps he was like, the most I can spare is two Jedi as long as one of them's Obi-Wan. Yeah, so let's talk about what I saw as one of the big missed opportunities, because I think this arc was all about missed opportunities. Mm -hmm. I think it was a real missed opportunity that they sent Adigalia instead of Anakin to fight Maul and Savage. So that is either a result of Palpatine's meddling, because either Palpatine is worried that Anakin will die, or he's worried that Anakin will kill Maul. Mm, he's too powerful. And he wants Maul to kill Kenobi. Oh. Because he wants Anakin for himself. Okay, because I was so sad during the amazing Jedi-Sith duel scene. Mm -hmm. I kept thinking, how phenomenal would it be if Anakin was here and Anakin and Obi-Wan were fighting back-to-back and how cool that would be? But then on the flip side, why did they only send two Jedi when they should have sent (laughs) ten? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we saw that Asajj Ventress and Obi-Wan combined were not a match for these brothers. Yeah, And so you, you send Adi Galia, who's... Part of this middle-aged, like a different generation of Jedi, mm-hmm. she's not like Ahsoka or even Anakin, who who came up during wartime, who came up fulfilling this militant, warlike mission of the Jedi. She would have come up in this age of the Jedi where they were peacekeepers, right? Where yeah. they didn't necessarily have as much experience even using a lightsaber. That said, she does very much hold her own for a long time. Oh, she is fantastic. She is a pleasure to watch. I thought the rigs that did her animation were incredible. But I don't think this is what Adi Galia would have expected to be doing in her career. No, because the previous times we saw her, and we saw her three times before this, she only has four Yeah, we saw her, I think in like the R2 and 3PO arc for a second in Grievous Intrigue was I think the most we saw her. Yeah, because that's the one where she and Cody and Obi-Wan are doing this like back and forth ship stealing thing with Grievous. And we see her, I think she's got a line one other time. So she's a bit player. Yeah, but she has always shown herself to be sort of an more one of the more adventuresome Jedi who's willing to go into combat. And yeah, she's like Ayla Sakura. Yeah, but I don't think she is one of those crazy powerful warriors like Obi Wan, like exactly Anakin, like Ahsoka. So it seemed to me like a very strange decision to send Adi instead of Anakin. But now I think I understand it a little better. Yeah, the other missed opportunity. Actually, I think there's like two more missed opportunities. I thought it was strange that Anakin has nothing to say in defense of Obi-Wan during the council scene when Palpatine is shooting him down. They don't even get like a a meaningful glance between them to say, I'm on your side. They sort of do. It's more of a like Dems to rules look that Anakin gives him. He's like, yeah, I mean, the chancellor said it, Mace said it. Yoda said it. It sucks, man. But this has turned into a personal thing because Anakin hasn't fought with these guys, but he's like, yeah, it's just another lightsaber wielding maniac. We take those out all the time. Yeah. It could also show how deeply Anakin is in Palpatine's pocket that he's like, oh, that, I mean, what the chancellor says is what the chancellor gets. Yeah. I don't even know why the chancellor gets to decide where the Jedi go, but apparently that's what's happening. So because he's got those emergency wartime powers. Uh Uh huh. Uh, It's the prequel era, baby. Yeah. So I think 
in rebuttal of all of your points to just take them all apart like mall thinking big picture thoughts when adigalia and obi-wan land mall immediately says no it's too soon my plan isn't ready yet yeah totally i think that mall was trying to stay under the radar long enough to build this army so that he could i think that this like get the death watch or at least get someone to cover up the fact that he's the puppet master is his plan the whole time yeah totally and he doesn't want to be seen or perceived by the jedi which is why he's incredibly grateful that the jedi show up um not in numbers Hmm, fewer witnesses. But what's interesting is that even though it was Kenobi, he still wasn't excited to try. He didn't, he, didn't, he That's wasn't bloodthirsty. That's a great point. I mean, this is his guy, right? Yes. And I think what's happening, because recall when Obi-Wan last fought the Brothers Opress, when Maul was actually getting body blows on obi-wan it's because he said and they call you master because he doesn't want to kill obi-wan he wants to defeat obi-wan yeah and he's using all of his sith tactics to cloud obi-wan's judgment and to get him angry to get his emotions in the way but more importantly he wants to break obi-wan's legacy Mm. he wants to break obi-wan as a hero Because imagine that the person who ostensibly killed you and you had to come from back from the dead held together only by anger and spite and revenge. Imagine if the person who did that to you was regarded as a galactic hero. Yeah. Oh, it would be infuriating. So he has to break Obi-Wan rather than just kill him. Yeah, absolutely. He has to string him up and gut him and embarrass him. And so that is why Maul says it's too soon because he doesn't have an ambush ready for Obi-Wan. He can't pick Obi-Wan apart thread by thread and eviscerate him like he wants to. Yes, yes, yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. It's like an onion. There's a lot going on. And the second half of this arc is uh, the drama. That's good to know. I know everyone is obsessed with Darth Maul and everyone is obsessed with these arcs. And I felt maybe a little let down by the level of drama in these episodes. I thought it was really cool to see Maul doing all of his political machinations and, Mm -hmm. you know, Savage giving a five for one special (laughs) to the Black Sun Agency. Jeez Louise. But yeah, I'm excited for the drama to ramp up a little more. Although compared to the previous arcs, I... It seems like the later seasons of The Clone Wars ebb and flow in terms of they have a couple of fun arcs where you're reminded of the fun parts of Star Wars, where you're running around and you're flying through asteroids. There's a little bit of danger. And then you have, oh, now it's big politics. Now it's like real scary characters. You don't know what's going to happen. Yeah, I was getting serious original trilogy vibes from these episodes. Very much so, because the original trilogy is much darker than the prequels. Yeah, absolutely it is. And just all of the call forwards, right? Like, now the brothers Opress <laughs> have brought the cybernetic hand count up to two in the galaxy, and it's going to be three oh, yeah. when we hit the original trilogy. But it's even the uh, the more machine than man theme mm-hmm. running mm-hmm. through, right? So there's a lot of call forwards. I think these arcs are going to make us look at future Star Wars projects differently. Like, for example, the next time we try to we see someone trying to become a, a crime lord 
in Book of Boba Fett. <laughs> Maybe. I think we're going to look back on these episodes and be like, wow, Maul was seriously good at his job. Yes. Maul is very, very scary. And voice acting of Sam Whitmer, all the voice acting in this is extremely good. Shout out for Angelique Perrin, who once again was Adi Galia. I thought she did a fantastic job. She always does. Yeah. She was also Mama the Hut, which is just delightful. Oh, that's fun. And who's the voice of Duchess Satine and Sugi? Anna Graves. Yeah. So she had a few lines. There's there's fun stuff. John Favreau as um Previsla. Great lines. Oh yeah. Great He's lines. Good. He's good. Because because that's like part of his butt monkeyness is that <laughs> yeah. he is uh he's got like a, a a voice that isn't whiny, but it's whiny adjacent. It's a little nasal. It's it, great. It, yeah. That's why he's a great happy and Iron Man, right? He's a butt monkey. So we have like one and a half good guys. Are you saying it's time for Baywatch? Yes. It's time for Baywatch. Baywatch Bay it's time Baywatch, for Baywatch. It's not that you have to be a good guy to get on Baywatch. It's just that I usually like you more if you are. But yeah. I have to say, my choice for Baywatch is firmly in the uh, the grayscale territory, the morally ambiguous, the ebbing and flowing. It's Hondo. It's Hondo and I. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah okay. <laughs> I don't know if you needed a drum roll. No, no, no. Okay, it's it's Hondo. Hondo's hilarious. He's perfect he's so great this this up if if there was a best of hondo like clip collection all of these lines would be in there the, every single hondo scene from this episode is in there there's not a line that didn't make me cackle yeah he is in rare form he's great like i love the freedom that hondo has to get more and more comical every time we see him and yet he remains effective he gets all of his crew back onto his side without having to punish anybody. And I made an especial note of so after uh you know, so here's how it works. The ambush he sets up a machine gun as an ambush, the pirates come storming in, and he's like, Look, those crazy sword wielding maniacs don't care about you like I do. They offered you money, I'll offer you money. We're friends. I know you, I know your heart. Come on back. Yeah, they don't care about you. Now. Come to mama. Like mama you said, Onaka. those crazy Zabraks have a ship full of loot. Let's head on over and loot it. And that <laughs> is so freaking bold. That's so smart. I mean, it is. It's smart, but it's like the kind of smart where people have some semblance of like boundaries most people grew up with the social construct firmly in mind and yeah. like that's someone else's stuff and you can't have it and you have to do at least Keep a little hop skip off. and a jump to get over that as well as the idea of forward thinking of like okay so we go and we steal all their stuff and then what hondo skips all of that and he's like steal now Think consequences later, later. <laughs> yeah and that is like... He has no sense of propriety, none. and I love that for him. Yes. I mean, what would Hondo do? That's what I want to do. And he is like mercurial, and he is intriguing, and he's that makes him kind of scary in his own like affable way. He is a fantastic pirate. He is good at his job. 
And he's also the only relief in the stark, horrifying, like, I am building an army of criminals arc of the rest of this. All hail Hondo Onaka. You get to live. (laughs) And not be part of the Shadow Collective because they're not going to deal with you. So was Hondo your bae as well? No. Who is your bae? It's not Hondo? No. Is it Maul? Yes. Okay. (laughs) For his lines. For for the way he, every single situation that he's in, he's watching everyone play checkers while he's playing chess. He's playing chess with one hand, and then he's playing backwards chess with the other hand, and then he's like solving a Rubik's Cube with his feet, and he's laughing at you, and he's saying mean stuff to you. (laughs) And he's not, like, and, and you don't understand it. Yeah, totally flying straight over your head. Because he is actually a player of the game. And there are so, like, I love that. I love reading and watching things where there's, like, multiple people putting these pieces into play and watching how things play out. I love heists. I love, like, getting the band back together. And Maul does all of that. He does it with a brutality. But he's not wantonly cruel. He's like, if you don't join me, I will kill you. And I'll ask twice. And they're like, ha ha, will you ask a third time? He's like, nope, you're dead. <laughs> and then he turns to the next guy. He's like, how about you? And they're like, yeah, sure. I'm I'm in now. I don't know if that is exactly the right move in all the circumstances. But, but it is effective. It is effective. And he builds an army. And he built an army in the space of a week. He does it so fast. And he does it. And there's there's a specific moment. So when they first see the huts on Nel Hutta, and the huts say, kill them, or whatever. There's no subtitles. I don't speak Huttese. Uh, Sugi- <laughs> you don't speak Huttese? No. It's embarrassing for no. you. <laughs> um, you call yourself a Star Wars podcaster? <laughs> I, I speak Wookiee. <laughs> uh, so Sugi pops up, flings a knife, Right between Maul's eyes. Maul doesn't blink, he doesn't move, and he doesn't use the force to block it. Behind him, Savage uses the force to block it. Oh, I that loved knife. that moment. And so what does that tell you about Maul? That he is utterly fearless. But Maul also spends a lot of his time running away, waiting for the right moment. Mm. He is a predator. And he's treating everyone else like prey and is putting so many of them on their back feet that it is really working for him. Just think the first time we saw him in the Clone Wars, he was in his spider form. He was Mm -hmm. red and black. He was like a black widow. And he is still spider form on the inside. On the inside. He's embracing his inner spider. (laughs) Weaving webs around Sam's heart. I think that about wraps up this one. So next week, we are finishing the revenge arc with Shades of Reason and The Lawless, season five, episodes 15 and 16. And then we are precipitously approaching the end of season five of The Clone Wars. Yeah. Which means we are precipitously approaching the end of the original Clone Wars content. Right, because then Clone Wars was canceled, moved around, restarted, yada, yada. And then season seven, ta-da! 
because season six and season seven are short. They're only 12 episodes each. Wow. So we are approaching the end of the Clone Wars. Oh, my gosh. Mm-hmm. Oh, my little stomach is going pitter-patter. We've been on this project for a long time, and we're really thankful for all of our listeners for joining us and for, you know, even if you're if you're watching the episodes all again or if you're just listening to us on the background because you like our voices, we really appreciate you. Yeah. Thank you guys so much. Please remember to hit follow and subscribe to us on your podcast app. It really helps. And drop us a rating. Five stars only, please, <laughs> if you like us. You can also get more Skywalker on our Patreon where we release bonus content every Thursday. And follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And Sam is currently running the Twitter while there are still Obi-Wan Kenobi spoilers floating around. Dude, I'm still behind on that. (laughs) (laughs) And we will see you next week for the end of Revenge. Gosh, I hope not. Oh, okay. (laughs) Revenge drives me. (laughs) See you next Tuesday. Bye-bye.